Welcome to another episode of the Cornet Northern California Chapter Podcast. I'm Melissa Pacey, Principal at HGA Architects, member of the Leadership Council of the Northern California Chapter of Cornet, and your host today. During today's podcast, we'll hear from a panel of young leaders in the corporate real estate industry as they talk about wellness in the workplace. To stay up to date with the Northern California Chapter, please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Cornet NorCal. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share on social media. And as always, please give us any feedback that you may have so that we can incorporate it into our next podcast. I'm very excited to thank Will for hosting us today, as well as introduce our guests. We've got Megan White, Senior Sustainability Consultant at the Integral Group, Elisa Skolnick, Director of the San Francisco Office for ESD Global, Priya Premchenaran, Team Design and Construction Lead from Google, and Jun Yoshida, Senior Regional Wellness Specialist at LinkedIn. Happy listening. We, when we came up with this panel topic of wellness at the workplace, um, I, I have to admit, I'm, not, I'm no expert at wellness in the workplace, and I didn't know what it really meant. Um, but hopefully, you know, with everyone on the panel, we can kind of have different views on, on, on how that's really being defined. Um, so, Elisa, do you want to go ahead and start us off? Um, we've probably all heard statistics about how much time we spend indoors. And on top of that, you know, we've been in, in the industry, but also everywhere, every industry has been working on work-life balance and more so now work-life integration because mm-hmm. with technology, work is following you everywhere. Uh, you have it on, everyone has a smartphone. Um, your people are traveling all over the place. You're expected to be answering emails, you know, checking your outlook all the time, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Or people just opt to work remotely to have the flexibility. So I think with, with that technology and with more of a work-life integration, um, it's just been <laughs> really uh, important to focus on the health and wellness of the occupants, both from a design strategy standpoint of the built environment, but also from a organizational policy Mm -hmm. standpoint. So it's not just looking at what can we do in this specific place, but what can we do as an organization to uh, improve and incentivize the health and wellness of our employees because that affects the bottom line and just uh, attracts better talent and um, has lots of benefits to, to all the people that um, are working in the organization. So from a Google perspective, um, you know, as you all know, we're not a real estate company. We, we just have office spaces and data centers you know, that we use around the world. So we're primarily a software company and now also a hardware company. And, and one of the core uh, philosophy or the values that we have as a company is that, you know, we'll focus on the user and everything else follows. And, and that philosophy applies even to the workspaces that we design and we occupy. Because for us as a company, we do believe that people are our biggest assets. They are, they, are the, um, they are the talent pool who are you know, collaborating and learning and really challenging each other and coming up with the ideas that are needed to solve the problems that we really want to solve that has an impact across the world. You know, we, we often say that you know, we're interested in solving a problem that, is, you know, that affects a billion people and, and, uh, and the people who are doing this. You know, solving those problems. You know, it's important for us to make sure that you know they are, um, they they fo- they continue to be the focus in the spaces as well. And so, 
Um, and so it's interesting, like, you know, when we start looking at our built environment and the, spa and the, and the buildings that we build and design, um, we do apply that philosophy. We treat it as just as like a product that we treat, you know, just a user-centered design approach and you really understanding what do the users really need in order to be successful, in order to perform, in order to really collaborate. You know, we want to create these spaces that allow for these casual collisions so that, you know, when, we, when I see you at the micro kitchen or at the, at the um, um, you know, on my way to a meeting, you know, I'm like, oh yes, I want to talk to you about that. I had this idea. And, you know, we have those uh, interactions that are happening. So spaces are really important to really build um, the, the environment that help people really thrive. And, um, and, you know, and also if we also look for signs to actually base the evidence in which, you know, we know these are the spaces where people spend a significant amount of time. So everything we design around the programs and the services and down to the spaces that we um, we specify um, the materials or the planning of it all sort of is centered around the fact that, you know, people are um, the critical part of the success of anything that we do. So. To add to all of that, because it's, it's building off of the foundation that both of these ladies just set, because it's so critical and important. I think it's interesting that the evolution, at least at Integral, starting out as like an MEP engineering firm, through and through our mission and vision statement is about being the, the most deep green MEP engineering firm in the world, which means getting to net zero energy design, right? Doing things that are good for the planet. Um, but through doing that, it's always been really critical to our, um, our vision that we're also creating a space that helps people to thrive in that essence. And so um, as you start to peel back the layers on what makes a healthy workplace, um, there's so many pieces to that pie. And I think like when we got together, we were reflecting on that. And the areas, um, at least within our firm that we started, was the quality, the air quality. Um, and so you start to really get down, like, what does it mean to have a good, healthy air quality? And why is that critical? Why is that important? How does that support us as humans, as individuals, um, to be productive um, and to, to just thrive in our work and, and to be present, the concept of presenteeism? Um, and then, you know, we start to layer it into um, the electrical services and understanding the dynamics of light and how light temperature and our access to daylight and our access to views really makes a huge difference. Um, and then ability and accessibility to clean water. I think many of us probably take clean water for granted um, and we don't realize that beyond you know, our urban living or our class A office lives, um, that access to clean water is not equal for all. And so it's really important um, for us at Integral that we also give back. And I think that that's a big part of health and wellness in the workplace is that connection, that social equity, that, um, that realizing that like we want to make this available to all. Um, and that makes us feel good. And that that's a piece of it, that the social sustainability piece um, is a deep part of that. And it's um, hard to quantify it. And so when I think about health and wellness in the workplace, there's those attributes that we can more easily design in and, and connect to and measure. And then there's a lot of pieces that are hard to measure and hard to see like the financial benefits. Um, and maybe that's like an intuitive sense. And so we're still trying to like break that down a little bit, so. I have nothing to add. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> um, no I, I think that's laid out very well. I'm really happy to hear 
uh, and I'm, I'm very new to the, the facilities aspect of things and the building design of things, although um, from like a human performance standpoint, mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with um, what's needed for, uh, for us as humans to perform at our best. Um, our programs internally are designed for our employees to bring their best selves to work. And so the way that, you know, the thought that they're putting into the aspect of the building design, I think is, is really fantastic. And I think that is definitely going to be the future as far as, um, you know, building design is concerned. But, um, you know, as we think of our performance in the workplace, you know, we oftentimes will talk about like a plant. You know, a plant requires three things to thrive, uh, sunlight, soil, and water. That's essentially all it needs. Um, humans, we are a little bit more dynamic than a plant. And so our foundation that we base our program off of is actually um, the six tenets of wellness that we kind of developed internally. Uh, beginning with thoughts, uh, following is, is breathing, thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and rest. And so uh, we, the amount of thought that, that they're putting into that building design, um, you know, we're trying to put the same amount of thought into our our bottom line, our employees, um, back to the talent acquisition piece, um, it's certainly one of those perks within a company that um, are more and more kind of just a need to have for many companies these days, whether it be building design, thoughtful building design, free food, uh, wellness is usually one of the th top three things um, when we send out our, our global surveys. Um, it's, it's usually one of the three things that is, is definitely requested and um, asked to be continued. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if uh, I answered all the, the questions, but you know, it's it's a really different approach that we take, and, and it's great to see that um, you know the the building designs are, are following suit as well. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I think the the one big takeaway here with defining wellness at the workplace is it's really you know there's a lot of facets to it. You know, as we talked about with the pieces of the pie. And so, you know, I'm glad we got this kind of insights from, from this expert panel over here. You know, when I was looking into and, and, and talking to these guys about wellness in the workplace, I think we came across a couple of rating systems like LEAD, um, there's WELL, there's FIT WELL. And, you know, I'm no expert. And I think with Megan and Lisa, though, as service providers, you know, providing this kind of consulting service, maybe you can kind of take us through at a high level of what the differences are and, kind of talk through it. Yeah. Um, so who here has heard of LEAD? Let's start there. Okay, good. Mm. <laughs> um, so the most comparable rating system out there on the market right now in terms of health and wellness compared to LEAD is called WELL. Who here has heard of WELL building? Okay, great. Great. So in a very similar sense where LEAD lays out the framework and sets uh, categories and has certain requirements and then options to earn credits to eventually earn a various levels of certification, well building is set up in a very similar way. There's different categories where you have certain requirements and then uh, other optimizations or credits where you can earn different levels of certification. However, with WELL, they focus more on the health and well-being of the occupants, whereas LEAD focuses more on the environmental impact of your design and construction. So for example, LEAD uh, has a category for water efficiency, and you can earn points based on water efficient fixtures, so water savings. WELL 
uh, because it's focused on health and wellness, is taking a slightly different approach and saying, what is your water quality? So what elements are in your water? Are there inorganic compounds or metals or something that should not be there? And let's take a look and actually measure that water and, um, and see if it meets certain thresholds in order to meet the requirements of the standard. So, so that's the well building standard. Um, they have a few different rating systems that exist that apply for new construction projects, for commercial interiors projects, and then they also have some piloted versions for things like commercial kitchens and multifamily housing and a few others. Um, another rating system that's out there on the market right now is called Fitwell. Has anyone heard of Fitwell? A few people. Okay, yeah, definitely much newer to the market. Well is, is um, like LEED, it has USGBC backing, and it's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to these rating systems. Mm -hmm. uh, FitWell is, I like to say, the green globes of wellness, if you are familiar with green globes. Uh, it's more of a checklist-type format. It does not have the <coughs> rigor that well does in the sense that uh, the well building standard requires performance verification, where they actually come out, test your air quality, test your water quality, do visual inspections, measure your light levels, things like that. Um, Fitwell does not have that, so therefore it is much cheaper as well. But really, it's best applied to existing building portfolios, I would say, where they give you a benchmark uh, from one, two, or three stars. And you can apply this checklist to each of your buildings and see where it lands. And then maybe you say, OK, let's take all of our one-star buildings and try to implement some of these design features or modifications to bring it up to a, a two-star building. Um, the third rating system that I would point out is called RESET, and I was just trying to memorize what it stands for. Uh, regenerative Ecological and Social Economic Targets, I believe, if I got that right. <laughs> um, it's a rating system that is most prevalent in China, and it focuses on air quality. So kind of similar to what, what Megan is saying, um, what, what Reset likes to point out is that you can uh, live for, what is it, 21 days or a few weeks without food, only a few days without water, but only a few minutes without air. And China has, has pretty poor air quality, as you know, so this was a really important um, program for them in, in that region. And it focuses on measuring five specific parameters and so it's things like uh, CO2, total volatile organic compounds, TVOCs, temperature, humidity. And it's taking a look at those specific elements in your built environment and measuring them. And if you meet the threshold set out in the standard, then you can earn a reset certification. So it's really just taking a specific look at that air quality aspect. Those are the, the three main um, rating systems that I see on the market. Cool. Thank you for that, Lisa. Um, so, you know, we talked about when we were when we were discussing um, this this for this panel's discussion, we were talking about frameworks versus intent, and you know, these rating systems provide that great framework on how to, you know, measure and 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 provide you know wellness to the workplace. Um, June, I know that you had mentioned earlier about the six tenets that LinkedIn um, has, and so you know. I guess, could you elaborate a little bit more about kind of the philosophy uh, of wellness at the workplace at LinkedIn and more importantly, why it's important to LinkedIn? Uh, back when LinkedIn was maybe 900 employees at the time, 
So as of today, we're well over 10,000 employees. And so, um, you know, we got in the game really early, which really helped our culture, um, our talent acquisition, our retention. Um, and so we, again, we're really early in the game. And, you know, we do get approached often by other companies that are saying, you know, asking us, hey, like, you know, you've been in the industry for a while. What can we do to um, develop a wellness program at our company? Um, and the answer is never easy. You know, one thing that usually comes up is the budget aspect of things. Most companies don't really invest a lot into their wellness programs. Um, another is the kind of the stigma around just wellness. There's a lot of woo-woo type things out there. You know, a lot of times when we mention meditation, um, even, you know, Joe put it pretty well too. You know, people are like, oh, like you're the meditation guy or whatever. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's still not quite accepted. And so for us, um, we really wanted to start grassroots um, and it uh, really grew organically. And so over the course of the last seven years, We've had folks, if they're still at LinkedIn, they're most likely manager levels, director levels. And so it's really just grown from the ground up. Um, another benefit to our wellness program is uh, Jeff, our CEO, it, you know, speaks fondly of it. He is a big uh, promoter of meditation, um, uses Headspace as, as an app for his meditation as well, and, and does a lot of um, meditation with his executive staff before staff meetings. And so I think it really has that bottom up and top down support that it really requires for something like wellness to, to really succeed in the workplace. Right. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned about how, um, how it started, the, the wellness team started at LinkedIn. I know when we were talking, Priya, you had a really interesting story about how the e-team started at Google. You wanna share that? Yeah, so um, the E-Team is an uh, internal, if I, when I say I'm part of the E-Team, it doesn't mean anything to people outside of Google because it's sort <laughs> of like an internal branding of our team. So um, the E-Team is sort of this, is the sustainability team and the E stands for experience, ecology, and environment. So those are the three facets of, of a built environment that uh, we um, support and we really influence and we see as being important for <coughs> Uh, for people, um, their wellness, their well-being, and their performance. Um, and so um, to kind of go and go back in time in terms of like why this focus on place and people really started and, 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 the, and the link, the strong link and, um, that, that, that exists between people and place is um, is when we were also a, a very tiny company, um, almost like now 18 years ago, um, or like a teenager now. Um, and so where uh, our founders, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, when they were working out of a garage and they, were, they had made enough money to actually go find lease an office space, um, and, and both of them really, um, you know, being the geeks that they were, you know, they, um, the story goes that you know they read every scientific paper there is about you know about health and and they really really were passionate about that and they wanted to bring that culture and that passion to the company that they were setting up as well and so um, and one of the story that actually is in many ways the seeds that sowed for the team that I'm part of right now is that when they first went to look at a at a space that they were leasing. 
um, you know, like Larry and Sergey went together and, you know, Sergey opened the door and he just stuck his face in and then just came out and was like, I smell benzene. <laughs> and no, we can't take this face. I smell benzene in here. And then, um, and then Larry has a backpack where he has a particulate counter, particulate counter, which is essentially measuring the PM levels in your spaces in the air quality. And um, our vice president of real estate um, gets like these pings, which are like internal chat. Um, like uh, I was just in building 41 and my particle counter just said, you know, some number, can you see what it is? That seems really high. And our VP is like, I don't know what that is. I mean, and then he just goes to his direct reports or like his team and like, can you just find out what this is and what can we do and who can we get in here to fix this? And so, so that's kind of, that story is really, you know, funny, but also still is very true is because, you know, from a founders, it's the values around, you know, it is important to care about people and the space really matters in terms of, you know, um, you know, the impact it can have on people um, really continues to be sort of the foundation for the work that our team does and across the company. And so, you know, I mean, we're talking, sitting over here and really talking about the frameworks that exist in the marketplace today. Imagine 18 years ago when no one knew what lead was, there were no frameworks that existed. Like, you know, like our VP is like, can you find someone who understands what Larry is talking about? <laughs> I mean, that was the world we were living in at that time. And so a lot of the programs that we had to create you know, were something that we just had to like figure it out ourselves, talk to smart people in the industry and, and really, you know, um, um, you know, build it up and, um, and have this scientific evidence to really understand that we were choosing the right path because, you know, our founders will want to see those papers, <laughs> you know, like if you're telling me this is a threshold that, you know, we should be under, like, where's the paper for that? So, and it's really important for us as a company also to root it in data because we really are a data-driven company. A lot of our decisions, you know, right from hiring to the food that we serve in a cafe is all backed by data. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and part of the challenge with things that cannot be measured or does not have, cannot be quantifiable is also, um, you know, uh, an area that we continue as a company, even though we have all the resources, um, you know, we struggle with. And I think that is very much what these frameworks in the marketplace is trying to tackle and trying to really address, like build that, um, that language so that we all are talking about the same thing. And then from that language, you know, we're starting to articulate, you know, the strategies and the metrics and the way that we can quantify and measure and take that forward. So, so yeah, I mean, that's how our team is started in many ways, and, and that's how, uh, you know, our work continues to uh, be important from the perspective of, like, we're always trying to look for the best solutions that are out there and the best science out there and do it the best way and the most scalable way we possible because um, it's, um, it's hard enough to do a lot of these things that are really new, but to do it at a scale where you are a global company with offices in 40 countries, many of the countries don't even have regulations or rules or any sort of like emphasis on health and well-being. I mean, that really starts to take challenge to a next level as well, so. Yeah, which we'll definitely discuss about the challenges yeah. in a bit. Um, by the way, I think it's, I love that story about how it started. <laughs> 
Um, and, and I should also say that that's the first time I've ever heard Google being described as a teenager. <laughs> and I just, um, so, you know, but, but thankfully now we have, you know, with, with uh, the Integral Group and ESD, uh, you know, companies that provide that kind of consulting services. So Megan, you know, as we were talking earlier, um, you had mentioned that, you know, when, when, as you were developing that wellness practice within in the, the Integral Group, um, you've had to kind of walk the talk you can kind of share about some of the experiences that you had to deal with in your own company? Yeah. I think it was so, it's so important before we go out and we offer these things that we, we really get our hands dirty. And so one of the things that we did at Integral to start, um, so Integral was actually one of the um, authoring partners on the well building standard, and specifically on air quality and thermal comfort. Um, and so we helped to develop part of that standard initially. Um, and also we were, uh, the original pilot audit testers. So we were the ones that helped with the tools to go out into the field and to test air quality and go out and test the water quality, test the light, test the, do the clap test for acoustics. Um, so Dylan Connolly in our office who originally did those audits would tell the story that uh, when he would go out uh, and he would get flown like across the country to go audit a, a pilot well project, right? And he would try to bring this backpack or this suitcase of all of these tools across the security um, line. And they were really nervous. And there was a number of times that he got stopped in security for like hours trying to figure out what is all of this stuff. Um, and so initially, it was just that was a big part of it. Um, but what we started to realize early on is that we, we really did need to walk the walk ourselves. And so what we started within our services is we developed a tool. Um, in the well building standard, they talk about what's called a gap analysis. So you want to go out and you want to look at your current building and run it across the well standard to see where you currently sit today. And then maybe you have a design concept in mind of where you want to go. And so then you rerun the well standard across your, your design concept and understand what's the gap between those. Um, so what does it take you to get from point A to point B? Um, the biggest takeaway when we initially did that, um, and we started at our Oakland offices, uh, Oakland and then London did it, and then Vancouver did it. And what we actually found in every single one of our spaces, as we were also in the process of doing TI renovations on our own offices, is that not a single one of our offices could pass the well building standard. And it was, it's kind of like an interesting, interesting thing because our philosophy at Integral is about like get to net zero, less energy, reduce your plug loads. Like, um, and in doing that, we talk about passive energy design and how incredible that is. Um, and we have access to operable windows. But like one of the biggest problems for us, we couldn't pass the air quality test because we're in downtown Oakland. We open up our windows and there's all the soot from the street that's coming in. Um, and so a lot of people like thinking like in this climate too, in this type of environment can run into these types of problems. Um, and well is really much that performance-based test. So if you don't pass the performance tests, which are preconditions, like in lead, like a prerequisite, you can't even get that bottom tier of a well-certified um, level, right? So, um, so it was really interesting um, in doing that analysis within our own offices, like what would it take to actually get there? Um, and then the FitWell certification came out and so we really looked at FitWell. And um, we're really, really um, impressed, actually, with the FitWell standard. And one of the things that Integral, um, we 
uh, ended up looking at it. We've talked to them. It's rooted out of the Center for Active Design out of New York, um, which is a really great, reputable program. Um, it was launched, launched in partnership with the GSA, and the GSA rolled it out on all of their um, facilities. And uh, what we loved about Fitwell is the um, accessibility to it. Um, the ability to do it on buildings that are already in operations. You don't have to do this huge renovation in order to uh, meet a certification level. Like it's, it's accessible to anyone to see where you're at right now and then always showing steps towards improvement. And for us, it really meant um, eliminating an, a barrier to entry. Um, and I think that that's something that the well standard is looking at also right now, just to talk about where we're at in the marketplace. Um, is that they, I think they're starting to recognize that it's not an easy standard to come into. It's incredibly expensive. Um, and so it's really only accessible to a certain demographic and not necessarily a demographic that needs support the most. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we rolled out Fitwell. Um, we now have five of our offices that have fit, met the Fitwell standard. Um, posted it transparently. Um, it is rated on a three-star level. Um, all of our offices hit the two-star, really close on the three-star actually in Oakland um, in celebrating that. We already know what we need to do in order to get to that next level. And they're very accessible types of things that are tangible um, within also operations. So when we hear June talk about some of the things that they're doing within LinkedIn, Fitwell feels a little bit more reminiscent of putting some of these things into place within the operations of an organization versus there is pieces and aspects that are about the space itself and what we control in design and construction. Um, but it is about, you know, accessibility to fruit in the workplace and the mm -hmm. food and the nutrition piece. Right. Um, so yeah, just at integral was like important for us to walk the walk and not just offer consulting services without practicing on ourselves first. Yeah, so, you know, as you can see, it, it isn't easy to get these rating systems. So, you know, a question I'd like to ask everyone on the panel is, you know, discuss some of the challenges that you've had to face uh, in implementing wellness at the workplace, both as an end user and as a service provider that you've seen in other clients, and what kind of solutions that uh, have pre presented to, to solve them. We'll start with June. Yeah, no, I think I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is, is definitely scaling the program. Um, you know, we went from 900 to over 10,000 in a matter of four years, and um, the way we've kind of coped with that and grown the program is is uh, one through having different leads in different offices globally. Um, that certainly helps. Uh, we also have a kind of a three-pronged approach, if you will, to our wellness program. So we have an on-site aspect of the program, which could be things from gyms to classes to events that occur on site. Uh, we have an online portion as well. So, um, you know, we, we always joke and say, hey, we are a global wellness program because, well, we're online. And so you have access anywhere you are. And, um, you know, we send a lot of content. We try to create a lot of content, meaningful content, uh, we try to stay focused as well. So 2017 has been a focus around sleep, um, you know, and the way we kind of landed on that is we sent a couple surveys out, got some feedback, and we found that over 45% of our, we started with New York, so there's 45% of our New York population is experiencing sleep issues, whether it be just waking up in the middle of the night to full-on insomnia. 
And so, um, you know, getting that data back, being able to work with our internal employees to help them with these issues has been a big initiative of ours. Um, and again, you know, we always have the six tenants to come back to, uh, which certainly helps with my role. Um, and then the last piece, so we have the online piece, the on-site piece, and then we also leverage our community quite a bit. So the in-community piece has been a huge driver for us. Uh, we've partnered up with a lot of vendors, partners and within our community, whether it be in San Francisco, uh, in the South Bay, um, same globally. And so there are a lot of cool companies out there. Um, I, may, I might be partnering up with Will after that demonstration, but um, you know, you know, companies like Will who are really pushing the limits when it comes to workplace wellness, um, you know, whether it be from that movement tenant, right, we have you know, on-site classes and you know, we have over 100 classes that we have in the Bay Area every week, uh, which get a lot of employees to go to. But within our partners, we have you know, companies like DNA Fit that we partner with, uh, Body Spec that we partner with. You know, body, uh, body Spec does like body composition scans. They do resting metabolic rate tests. Uh, they mm -hmm. come on site, they do it mobily. Um, you know, one thing that we kind of pride ourselves within our wellness team and our uh, company is, is <clears throat> employees are willing to pay for a lot of these mm -hmm. partnerships. You know, we do have some programs internally that allow employees to have a, a bit of an allowance. We have a perk up allowance, which is a, an allowance every year that full-time employees get to, to use towards wellness, uh, pet care and childcare. Um, Eighty-five percent of which is spent on, on on wellness, but you know having these partners available, um, setting these consultations up, uh, leveraging our community um, mm -hmm. helps grow our program, our reach, and it helps our local community as well. And so the on-site, the online, and the um, in-community aspect of our program has really helped grow our program and help <clears throat> us scale. I think for us, it's what I see as the challenges. It's a little twofold. So like. On one sense, as a as a building designer, um, the challenges that we face a lot of times where we're designing in some of these concepts is that they end up getting value engineered out of the project. Um, and so, specifically on the health and wellness side, there's still not a very clear connection on what is the financial gain to the client at the end of the day by investing in some of these things. And a lot of people are working on those data points. And I think there's still a lot of space to come out and make those, those connection of those dots. Um, and then just speaking to like the walking the walk piece, it, it's linked and tied because um, as far as integral as a whole within our own workspaces, we really want ourselves to be, um, our employees to also feel like they're being put first. And so the culture inside our organization is something that we look at really deeply. Um, for those who have worked with Integral or know Integral, we have a pretty unique culture when it comes to the design and construction world. Um, we like to call ourselves crunchy. Um, and so it's a very playful environment. If you ever came into our Oakland office, uh, we have dogs running around like crazy and toys being thrown around. Um, but it's a very open, open office environment, which it's like, at what's the balance for productivity, but also allowing the individual to show up as their true authentic selves. And I think that that's a really critical piece about wellness in the workplace um, that's not talked about all the time. Um, and I feel like it's an important piece that we want to allow that culture to come through 
um, naturally and authentically and that each individual can really feel like they can show up as their true selves. And so that as the individual shows up as their true selves, they're able to like provide and output the best version of themselves, their best work. Um, and ultimately that work is for the greater good of the planet. Um, and so there's another layer to that. And so as we travel down this path, of um, allowing this within our own organization. It's um, things like uh, really striving and looking at employee retention. Um, and, and that connects also to the places that we work. So there's operations, there's policies, there's um, benefits. Um, and so it ties into like, what are the things that people really want that are gonna connect them to that workplace that then have a financial benefit to the organization at the end of the day but that the people feel like they're thriving and being the best versions of themselves and showing up and therefore we show up in service for the planet. So um, it's all very complicated um, <laughs> and really exciting um, and just really passionate about this space and just continuing to unravel the onion in every single layer. Um, so, The way we approach our, um, our wellness programs or, or the services we provide to um, support people's performance is through um, we we kind of have like we look at like mindset tool set and skill set and so we we use this lens primarily to empower people empower people uh, you know to use these programs to to the benefit um, and seek the benefit that they really need in order to really be their best self and so we don't want to be just providing perks and services that that really are just you know just not doing the right thing for people to really be successful and people to really be their best self and so um so empowering people as a result of you know providing them the right opportunities and access to the right programs really is um, is important and also challenging because you know ultimately we're all individuals and we have very different needs and so how do you actually balance the fact that you know you are you are such a large company with a really large population and and there's a lot of diversity in your population in terms of what they need and in terms of like what what job function they have in the company and you know and and um, how they you know how they are how they what they you know how they are in their lives and and um, and what aspects of their lives really start to um, have a have a greater impact on their wellness um, the other thing tied to you know not not only finding the programs that really empower people is finding the business value in being able to choose the right programs and choose the right services mm -hmm. and provide people um, and 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 it's really uh, challenging because you know this is not only an emerging space you know where the science is emerging but also um, the ability to really understand the impact of some of these services is not within the trying time frame that a business sometimes have to make decisions and operate. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, you know, it's not like you do it for 30 days and you start to see magic happen, you know, and so um, not only, you know, the timeline is, is, um, is an important um, part of uh, really evaluating and understanding how it's impacting people and how it's act and that creates more business value um, as a company, um, but also the fact that, you know, there's sometimes a gap in how we evaluate and how we understand these programs are working, um, mm -hmm. and at the scale that you are, which sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. 
um, even the basic things start to really become challenging. And the, the complexity starts to really vary when you're adding dimensions, such as, you know, how do you actually do something across a population of 50,000 people? And then on top of that, you know, you're a global company as well, so. Um, I view the two biggest challenges as uh, champions and data. So what I mean by that is in terms of champions, um, Anyone that's been in the industry long enough knows that probably 10 years ago or even less, director of sustainability was not a position that existed, right? Like that wasn't a thing. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, we're having those same challenges now. There's no, besides maybe the few people that are up here, there's really no director of wellness at organizations. Um, you know, LinkedIn's and, and Google's, uh, sure, but there's so many organizations out there that don't have an internal champion for these types of efforts. Um, even at ESD, we're doing a similar thing that Megan was talking about. We're getting our new Chicago headquarters fit well certified, hopefully, and it's about engaging the right stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, the HR department is a huge player in, mm -hmm. in these efforts, and they're not necessarily used to talking about it in this framework or in, this, in a specific way or maybe going outside their box a little bit. So, um, so they just need to be engaged and brought into the conversation that's really important. So it's really getting the right stakeholders, getting the right internal champions to be able to make things actually happen. Um, and finding those people can sometimes can, can be difficult because, like I said, oftentimes there's not a specific position. So someone's doing this outside of their normal daily job. Um, and then data was the other aspect that I think is a big challenge. Um, in some sense, we have a ton of data. There's this Internet of Things. There's so much data out there. It's almost overwhelming. And I think about a third of the people, uh, a, a, a third of people track their personal health statistics, like who has a Fitbit or looks on their, you know, little app to see how many steps they've done. So people are tracking their own personal um, health statistics and getting a whole bunch of information about themselves. And in a similar way, buildings have all these really intelligent systems and you're getting a lot of data about what's going on in the building. So there's, I think, just an overwhelming sense of, of this data and what to do with it. But then on the same, on a flip side, there's, um, I think a little bit of a disconnect between the health and wellness strategies and the results. So when talking to some of our clients, or even again internally, uh, you know, people want to see the a very strong link between the, the the design strategies or construction strategies or organizational policies, and then the outcomes. How is this driving productivity? How is this affecting my bottom line? And there are surveys and data out there, but um, I think that we have a, a, a long way to go, or maybe not a long way, but a, a, some way to go to really strengthen those connections. Everyone knows that um, you, know, you, you, you feel better when you're, you have access to natural light or that you, you, know, that, um, you feel less stress when you're working out, but the hard data to connect some of these design strategies to those outcomes, I think is another challenge that we have in the industry. Great, so it's almost 6.50, and so in the interest of time, um, I'm gonna fast forward a little so we can have some time for Q&A at the end. Um, you know, we talked about what's going on right now, but I think, you know, looking forward to the future, in the next 10 years or so, what do you envision 
um, in the workplace, for, you know, what the workplace will look like in terms of wellness at the workplace. Mm, I, need, I forgot my crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, technology is it's a huge aspect of this. So kind of like I was just saying all this data and we're tracking ourselves and we're tracking the building. So technology is such a huge part of it. I think uh, this is very appropriate being here at, at Will. That's a really good example of, um, you know, one of the technological advancements as it relates to health and wellness. I actually was just at a conference earlier today called Disrupt CRE. Was anyone there? No? Okay. So I was talking with someone about an app that they have um, that crosses these two spaces where uh, uh, you can set up a building profile and uh, all the employees or tenants of the building can, can log in and uh, be a part of that building. And then you can connect with others in the building or in that area to say, I commute to this space. Does someone want to share a ride? I, I want to do a physical activity. I want to take a yoga class or I'm an instructor I can teach or the building has set up this, you know, they have a gym so you can rent out one of their fitness rooms or whatever it is. So you can connect in different ways, including in a, at a health and wellness level too. So I think technology, the integration of, of technology and health and wellness is, um, is gonna go pretty far. Um, <clears throat> in um, adding to that, I think um, one of the things that we are gonna see in the next decade and maybe even sooner than that is it's just the way we work is going to change. Mm -hmm. um, it's no longer gonna be at your desk or at your meeting room or going to a meeting room to have a conversation or, or um, yeah, the traditional way. And that's already changing. And technology is starting to play a really big role in, in that. And so when you start to see, you know, you're talking about, you know, how do we actually provide the programs and services that really help people to do their work better? Um, and when work itself is getting pre redefined or changing, um, you know, we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, th the how how wellness really, uh, the definition of wellness or the dynamics uh, of you know how we provide these services and programs, um, you know, also changing. And um, yeah, technology is going to be a part, a big part of that, where you know you are you're always going to be. Uh, wanting, you know, or having the feedback loops that doesn't exist today, that is really going to be a significant part or, or, or at least a critical part of how you not only access the services that you want, but how you actually probably design the services that you want um, mm -hmm. that is going to allow you. So I think there is, we're more and more going to see uh, technology and, and, and the changing nature of work intersect more strongly and and that sort of changing uh, the way we think about um, you know wellness at the mm -hmm. workplace so I was looking into my crystal ball just recently <laughs> on this exact question um, and um, I, I think it's inevitable I think that especially 10 years from now the automation of things is real mm -hmm. um, and I I really believe that what that's going to allow for us as human beings is the ability to get back to thoughtfulness um, and really having to like sit internally with ourselves and really try to, to draw up things that automation just can't do. Um, and so I think that that means the creation of spaces that really are much more connected to the natural world. 
Um, we hear about biophilic design principles. Um, has everyone heard that concept, biophilic design? Mm -hmm. So biophilia is this idea of feeling connected with nature, with biology. And so there's many different ways to do it. Um, they talk about it in the well standard. They talk about it, in, we didn't talk about living building challenge. Um, they also have uh, something, and then also um, Terrapin has come out with the, the 14 principles of biophilic design. And um, it really is like the way that we can reincorporate, like this is a natural material, right? As much as access to seeing outdoors to the daylight, um, or having a plant in the space. It's more than just a green wall, but creating these areas of seclusion that you can really go and channel and tap in and to think about things. Um, and I think that's where we're gonna be in 10 years. I think that we're gonna have to really be able to go to that place and to think and not just search and look at data. Um, it's beyond what data can tell us. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. You know, in, in a world of, of technology, of, of being connected, I do feel that in the future, um, there will be the, the possibility to be even more connected, um, but that sense of community is another big driver, I think. And um, you know, a lot of times with large companies, uh, you really only know your small team within. Um, I doubt that you know, every single Google employee is connected to some random other finance team and the engineer mm -hmm. team. And you know, so th there's, a, there's a huge disconnect within companies as well. Um, we actually just hosted a, a recent like basketball tournament at LinkedIn, and um, you know it's from five years ago throwing a tournament like that where the company was much smaller. You know your coworkers, you see them. Uh, to this tournament was a huge difference, right? It's much, it was much more competitive. It seemed to be a little, a lot more rough because because you don't know them. You're probably never going to see them after this tournament, and so um, you know we had some some issues there, some serious <laughs> issues. And, and we kind of credited that to just the size of the company and the scale of it now. Mm. And so kind of bringing that back down to that sense of community, um, you know, having kind of like-minded goals, if you will. Um, I think that just from our primal nature, having that community, having that family is, is just kind of ingrained in our DNA. And so I think that'll be something that uh, the next generation of people coming into the workplace are really gonna be looking towards. Um, I love that that nature piece. Um, that's that's huge. I think just as much as you uh, can be connected, I think the more and more people are going to want to be disconnected. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends now that are like, you know what? I'm quitting my job. I hate technology. I'm going to travel. I'm going to you know get rid of my mm -hmm. phone. All this stuff. Um, you know, so it's it's definitely a real thing, and I think that. Simple things like getting outdoors, walking meetings, um, that sort of mm -hmm. thing is, is really going to be much more prevalent in, in, the, in the future. Yep. Um, and I think that uh, building design is going to be a huge, play a huge role in that as well. Um, so I believe that'll be something that we should expect in the future. Thank you. Well, hopefully that was uh, educational for some of us. Um, so we'll leave a couple of minutes for questions if, if there are any. I'm just curious to get your guys' opinions on, um, so when you think about like well-being, like emotional, physical, cognitive, the whole thing, how much of it do you think is affected by like behavior, protocols, things like that versus physical environment? Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about so when you like, say behavior, so you have, like, what do you the, mean? like the whole thing of somebody's well-being. Right. How much of that, like say a person's 100% firing on all cylinders, 
how much of it is like protocols, office culture, things like that, versus the physical environment of like biophilia in the space, an mm -hmm. ergonomic chair. Yeah. It's so individualized. Every single person is so radically different that it's such an, a specific case, right? So like if someone shows up and, you know, I mean, think about the diversity of things. If someone's showing up with an actual physical disability, it's gonna be very different for that individual versus someone that is able. Um, and I also think that depending on how they show up in their own physical health makes a difference in that situation, right? And so the movement, and so I think it's, it's hard to generalize, um, but um, I did ask, actually, so I asked my best friend, I was coming onto this panel right before I came, and she works with the number one holistic health specialist in the Bay Area, this doctor that people pay thousands of dollars for one visit to go work with her. She's like her right and left hand. So I was like, what would you say? And she actually said for her, the experience was the autonomy piece, the ability to have flexibility to set boundaries so that she could actually put her own health first and so she could have that self-care, self-love kind of piece so that she could then be effective within her workspace. And so I think policy um, and, and the operations and the benefits and, and that piece and the flexibility for humans is actually bigger than we realize than just necessarily the spaces that we design. That's my take. Thanks. There's another question. Yeah, there. so outside of good press, talent, attraction, uh, attraction retention, with the well standard fit well, what else is there for a company to really want to push for that? Is there something I'm missing? Are there other financial incentives or anything that they can reach out? I, I, you're right that I think a huge part of it is, you know, there's a marketing aspect to it, just like any other certification. That's definitely a huge part of it, which then helps with talent attraction and retention. Um, but I think to go back to that, that data piece, um, there are statistics that are out there and studies that are out there that show the linkage between uh, some of the health and well-being aspects and then their increase in productivity. So let, there's a study that says, okay, you know, that um, better air quality can lead to 10% uh, increase in productivity. So there are studies out there that show that type of thing, which then affect your bottom line. Um, but there's there's a lot going on in that space right now to help create more scientific approaches to that, um, more detailed studies. I think a lot of people are starting to incorporate health and wellness in their employee engagement surveys. I know, June, you mentioned that on a, a call that we had, too. Um, and we're starting to do that ESD, too, to kind of incorporate some of those questions into your employee surveys to get feedback on the performance of it and that will also help drive some of that that data and analytics i would also say that um, in addition to allowing that you know providing the framework for you to have a, a a consistent and a clear and a rigorous way to implement the strategies that have been proven out by science and evidence that it really works in terms of affecting cognitive performance or um, ability to, um, you know, low, you know, not have low, to eliminate low-level stress or to build that, um, you know, um, that well-being in terms of like feeling connected with nature or feeling connected with the outside. In addition to all that, I think um, it also gives you a platform to tell the story. Mm -hmm. 
for a company um, who really wants, um, um, who really believe that, you know, uh, well-being and people's health are really important for them. It also um, gives you a platform to, to translate and communicate the values that you hold as a company and demonstrate that um, to your, to your um, you know, employee population. And so, you know, we over here all understand when we say biophilia, air quality, healthy materials, like, you know, all the terms that we use. But when you go out to um, the, the employee population that we have or LinkedIn has, who are software engineers or who are hardware engineers who make the phones and, you know, the, you know, all they do is, you know, code the whole day. You know, when you tell them like, oh, we did this because, you know, biophilia is good for you. They're like, what? I mean, you know, but if you tell them like we did this because you know what? I mean, this, there is an impact on your stress level. There is you are going to be able to not only be in, you know, have the energy and the, um, the endurance to, you know, to be the best at your work. But also when you go home to your kids, you have that energy mm-hmm. and, you know, and the ability to spend time with your family. So. That is also a big part of, you know, um, you know, these frameworks, um, you know, giving you that platform mm-hmm. to, uh, to use however you choose to use as long as it aligns with your values and your principles as mm-hmm. a company. And it, and, and it yields the results that you outcomes that you're looking for in a consistent way. So. And just to add to that, with all of these certifications, I, you know, you see a lot of people that say, well, I'm, I'm doing something maybe at an equivalency level, right? Like lead equivalent mm-hmm. or well equivalent. And that shows great initial intention. But what we find time and time again is that the level of rigor to actually getting to true certification on something usually means that that this the design of a space or the execution within operations probably will fall a little bit short of actually going to the full length mile um, that a certification would. So yes, it's great intention. You're doing something. You're getting there. But I think that that's what that yeah. that plaque on the wall really represents. That you went through the true rigor. Um, I will also have one more thing, and I'll shut up after that. Is that you know, <laughs> um, it's like it allows to us as a community to raise the bar. Yeah. So when, um, especially when city governments and you know counties start adopting these green building policies, which we're starting to see more and more, and these frameworks again help them to really set the targets and to set the mm-hmm. standard, and you know, and that again is a tool in the tool toolbox um, that these frameworks allow for not only you know relying on the goodness and the and the um, you know, the bank <laughs> balance or whatever, however you, you want to uh, put it, of the large companies, but also how do we actually collectively as a community s- see that this is an important part and, you know, raise the bar so mm-hmm. that, you know, our collective impact in, in you know, as, um, you know, in the communities are, are um, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Uh, one more thing on that. I mean, <laughs> we're, you know, we're... We talk about these these large scale designs. We talk about large scale programs, but in the end, you know, a program like that, like there is really no like enterprise solution for for everybody, right? Going back to your question, mm-hmm. there's no general approach to anything. You know, even when we think about at the at our cellular level, right? Nutrition, one a hundred calories or a hundred grams of broccoli for me is going to be very different from a calorie perspective than everyone here, most likely. You know, and so little things like that, finding a way to customize and individualize a program, I think 
um, is going to be again back to that you know what I see in the future is going to be that there as well um, you know that happiness scale is very important mm -hmm. you know you want to be able to bring your best self to work uh, we have that foundation at LinkedIn the six tenets but you know if something is not right and what we're working on internally is finding a way to score yourself essentially within those six tenants. It's mm -hmm. really nice that we have that foundation established. Uh, it's been established for years and years, but you know, maybe you meditate every single day, but you don't work out and you eat like shit, mm -hmm. right? Are you gonna be well, like you, you, know, you know what I mean? So, someone might work out seven days a week, do a hundred miles of cycling on the weekend, but that's not really that good for you. Right. We're talking about, you know, if we wanted to bring that awareness to our employees, um, bring some education, the, the end result is to be able to change their behavior, um, change their mood. Um, and, and sometimes that return on investment is just one happy employee. Um, and we're OK with that. Um, the value on investment is, I think, what we put our chips on the table for. So if we were to pot commit on. ROI versus VOI, um, as we are today, we would most certainly put all in on that, that VOI, I think, that value on investment. I think that goes a long way to, to show your employees uh, that you do care, that you do um, you know, want them to be at their best um, and, and included in, in everything that we have to offer. Are there any other questions? We'll probably take just one more. If not, I think we're uh, done. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'd love to keep this conversation going and want to hear what's on your mind. Please share your thoughts and comments on our LinkedIn page under the post for this episode. If you liked the podcast, please be sure to tell your friends and subscribe to us on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. On our next episode, we'll be catching up with this year's CRE honorees, Bill Roberts and Michael Caslow. I know we're all excited to learn more about their careers, but if you have something specific that you'd like to ask, please send us your questions on any of our social media outlets or on our website. I'm Melissa Pacey, and I'll see you next time.